Well, good morning. We are <clears throat> resuming our, our series through uh, Chronicles. So if you do have your Bibles, please turn to chapter 23. Let me encourage you to, to always bring your Bibles with to church so you can check that what's been said is in the Bible. Uh, and it's just good to get to know where, where everything is in God's Word, to, to really be familiar with, with, uh, with your sword and how to use it. Well, we're going to look at uh, the structure of, of uh, God's community in the Old Testament through this passage. And every successful business or organization or church uh, or individual has structure. So you won't find a successful business that has no structure, that has no hierarchy, that has no order. You won't find a successful individual who has no order or routine or schedule in their life. If you read uh, leadership books or listen to podcasts, uh, if you study successful politicians, successful leaders, successful business people, uh, you will know that they have tremendous discipline, they have routines, they are pretty constant as to when they, they, they wake up, they're constant to you know, what they do, they'll have a routine of maybe some exercise or some meditation, uh, they will plan their day before, the day before, uh, and so structure is critical. Uh, we... we if we want to be faithful people, if we want to be a faithful church, there needs to be structure. John Steinbeck, the author, he said, There is no lostness like that which comes to a man when a perfect and certain pattern has dissolved about him. So perhaps you've, you've experienced something like that, where the routine of your life is taken away, often through sickness, uh, when you are laid low, with, with illness, and the structure and routine of your life falls away, it, it does give you a sense of lostness, and you feel empty and as though your life has no more meaning and what is the purpose, and that's, that's the way God has made us. Uh, Henry Emile, he said this, order means light and peace, inward liberty and free command over oneself. Order is power. And that's the truth. Uh, if you have self-control, discipline, routine, structure, it will give you uh, power over your situations. It will enable you to uh, be in control. You won't be just always apologizing for being late for everything, for missing things, for forgetting things. Uh, and so routine and structure is very, very important. And God has made us like that because God is a God of order. God uh, is always out to get rid of chaos and disorder, and we see that right at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, the primeval world, you'll remember, is covered with, with water and darkness, uh, without form and void, the Bible says. And then the Spirit comes and begins to create beauty and order, and there's a forming and a filling of uh, the air and the land and the sea. And throughout the Bible, we see that God is a God of order, who brings order. He saves the people. And here in this passage, uh, we're going to see that David is the one who institutes an order amongst the temple worship and amongst the nation of Israel. Remember, David is the king. So just to remind you, the book of Chronicles covers really the whole history of uh, the world up until that time. And especially, it, it begins with the genealogies going all the way back, and then it, it comes to really the history of Israel, and a large emphasis is David. And it is written for the Israelites who had experienced exile. They had been conquered by the Babylonians in 586 BC. The temple had been destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. God judged Judah for not being faithful to him. And they were exiled to Babylon. But God 
raised up a deliverer in the form of Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, who conquered the Babylonians and then issued a decree, an edict, in 538 BC, that they could go back to their land and they could rebuild the temple. But really just a, a, a dribs and drabs returned. And they returned to a city that was destroyed, a temple that was destroyed, and they were very discouraged. They wondered, does God still love us? What is the point? What's, what do we have to look forward to? And so the chronicler is writing to encourage the returning exiles to, to trust the Lord, to remember his promises to David, to have confidence in the Davidic line that God will raise up a deliverer, to rebuild the temple and get back to temple worship, to focus on him again. Uh, and so that's the purpose of the, the Chronicles. That's why there is this emphasis on David and on the temple. And so uh, let's, let's, uh, we're going to cover five chapters, so 23 through 27. So I'm just going to read them first. That's a carnal person, right? right. <laughs> you should have all said yes. yes. Uh, no, we're going to, that's why I said get your Bibles open. We're going to jump around a little bit. And uh, very similar to when we started this series, we had the genealogies. I think we did nine or so chapters. And a lot of it is a list of names. And it's the same in this section. There's a lot of names. Uh, but there are some very important principles. And so we're going to see how David organized the priests and the Levites and the gatekeepers and musicians, the military commanders. We're going to see how he organized temple worship and the nation of Israel and learn some lessons from that for us as the New Testament people of God. So let's begin chapter 23, verse 1. We're told when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. And so we'll look at that in more detail, Lord willing, next Sunday when we do chapter 28, because that deals with, with Solomon. Verse 2, David assembled all the leaders of Israel and the priests and the Levites. The Levites, 30 years old and upwards, were numbered, and the total was 38,000 men. 24,000 of these, David said, shall have charge of the work in the house of the Lord. Six thousand shall be officers and judges, four thousand gatekeepers, and four thousand shall offer praises to the Lord with the instruments that I have made for praise. And David organized them into divisions corresponding to the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So David is at, it's at the end of his life. He's handing over the kingdom to his son Solomon. And uh, if you can remember, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He has prepared for the building of the temple. He, is, he was not allowed to build the temple because he was a man who had shed blood. The Lord said, but your son will, will build the temple. But David didn't just sit there and sulk. He got everything ready. He got all the materials. That's what we looked at last time. Uh, he got everything ready, and now he's organizing things as well. You see the word there in verse 6, David organized. Uh, if, you, uh, if you go to chapter 24, verse 3, it says, With the help of Zadok, of the sons of Eliezer, and Ahimelech, of the sons of Ithamar, David organized them according to the appointed duties in their service. Verse 4, since more chief men were found among the sons of Eliezer than among the sons of Ithamar, they organized them under 16 heads of fathers' houses. That's really the primary word here. David is organizing things. He is bringing structure to, to the priests and the Levites. Uh, organize, literally the Hebrew me, means to divide, to put into groups. And so that's what he does. He organizes things and puts people into different groups. So just as we do that today, as a church, we have different groups that do different things. So we have different teams with different types of service within the church. So we have uh, pastors, uh, we have evangelists, we have deacons, we have people who 
welcome. We have people who serve in the kitchen. We have people who serve in creche and lead growth groups. We have uh, people who run the AV and online ministry, all of those things. That's the idea. He, he divides people into teams or, or groups. Uh, now, organization does not happen by itself. We know that. Things don't naturally organize themselves. Okay? Uh, leaders have to do that. People have to do that. Uh, we have to bring order. Just as Adam and Eve are told to cultivate the garden, to expand the Garden of Eden, a garden doesn't just happen by itself. Uh, it takes work and effort. And so what's happening here is organization. And in this first section, back in chapter 23, we see a list of what he's going to deal with uh, through, through chapters 23 through 26. So he mentions there the Levites and the priests, the musicians, the gatekeepers, the treasurers, judges, officials. They're all mentioned there in uh, verses 4 through 6. And that's really how the, the chapters break up. So let's, uh, let's go to chapter 23, verse 24. Um, the heading there might be Levites. The Levites. These were the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of father's houses as they were listed according to the number of the names of the individuals from 20 years old and upwards who were to do the work for the service of the house of the Lord. For David said, The Lord, the God of Israel, has given rest to his people and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. And so the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the things for its service. And so there he's referring to the, the Ark of the Covenant, and it, it lived in a sort of this tent, the tabernacle, that the Levites had to carry around at times, especially through the wilderness journey. But now, as I've said, David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and plans were now made to make a permanent home. So he said, look, that job no longer exists. The job of carrying the Ark of the Covenant around, of packing up the tabernacle and moving it from place to place, that job is, is finished now. I'm going to now give new responsibilities to the, to the Levites. Uh, notice at the end of verse 26, for its service. Verse 27, for by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upwards, for their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord. These are some of the things they had to do having the care of the courts and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy, and any work for the service of the house of God, their duty was also to assist with the showbread, the flour for the grain offering, the wafers of unleavened bread, the baked offering, the offering mixed with oil and all measures of quantity or size, and they were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord, and likewise at evening. And whenever burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on Sabbaths, new moons and feast days, according to the number required of them, regularly before the Lord. Thus they were to keep charge of the tent of meeting and the sanctuary, and to attend the sons of Aaron, their brothers, for the service of the house of the Lord. So I emphasize some words that are repeated there. And the, most, uh, the most repeated word is service, which literally means work, the work that they had to do. Uh, they were given work to do. David organized them and gave them work to do. And so for us, as the church of God, uh, we have all been given different types of gifts and we are given work to do. We're always asking for people, please you know, volunteer for this or the next thing. Uh, we want people to volunteer. We don't want to force people. Here they were forced to do it because of their ethnicity. So, you know, if you were born into, if you were a Levite, then you had to do this, okay? You couldn't, it wasn't a choice. Uh, you were born into that, that family, and then that's the work that you were given to do. Uh, think of the medieval time period. If, you, if your father was a baker, you were going to be a baker. Okay? It wasn't like, I want to be a lawyer. Uh, I want to be an accountant. I want to be a dancer. <laughs> It was like, you're going to be a baker, and your son will be a baker, and so on and so on. And we'll even give you a surname, Baker. Okay? And uh, 
That's how it worked. Uh, now, it's not like that for us. We don't divide people based on ethnicity or background or anything like that. God gives gifts to the church. That's the teaching of the, the, the New Covenant. God gives gifts to the church, and every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. And so we want people of their own to, to use those gifts, to serve, to work. And it is work. You have to work. Okay. But it's not healthy, you know, when the hand says, no, I, I don't feel like volunteering, I'll just sort of park off. Okay. Or the eye says, I'm not going to serve or anything like that. Well, that's an unhealthy church. Every Christian, every able-bodied Christian, every member of this church should be serving in some way. There's many, many you know, things one could say about the American church, many wrong things, as they are with every church. But one thing that's always been amazing to me is the, the volunteer culture and the generosity culture in the American church. And that's something we need to cultivate. That when someone asks on a group, can someone fill in for me, can someone do that, it's not, what do my children say? Crickets. Okay. <laughs> you just, just hear the sound of crickets. But that people respond, I will serve, I will work, I will help, where can I be involved? We're all called to do that. Understand, as I said, able-bodied, we understand there are legitimate hindrances, all of those things, but you understand the big principle that ideally... All of us should be serving in some way, looking for opportunity to use the gifts that, that God has given us. And I want you to see there that it was their duty, what they were called to do. And some of the things that they are called to do were very mundane. I don't know if you ever thought of the life of a Levite. Uh, I tended to have in my mind, you know, it's a very honorable position, and it was an honorable position, um, you, you, of tremendous stature, but look at the things that they had to do. Verse 28. Having the care of the courts and the chambers and cleaning all that is holy. What did they have to do? They had to clean, they had to clean the temple. They had to clean the altars after the sacrifices. They had to clean the curtains. They had to uh, get the bread, make it. They had to get the flour. They had to get the wafers of unleavened bread and the oil and measure it all out. Very mundane, ordinary things. Nothing super spiritual. Not like, you know, you guys need to go around casting out demons and you guys need to do this and write some books. and No. You guys will help clean here and you will make bread and this is what you will do. And yet they are the Levites, the people of God. So every part of, of our service is important. Never ever look down on the mundane. Don't think it is less. God sees all work that is done for him. I think Tim Keller, he said that, you know, if, we don't have, if people don't clean the streets, clean the toilets, we will die of disease. Okay? <laughs> That's the reality. People will die if the streets start to fill up with garbage and there's no hygiene. People, we will die. They are the most important jobs. The things that we often look down on. So let me challenge you. Never ever look down on those jobs. Don't think I'm too high and mighty for that. I'm too high and mighty to pack chairs or do this or do the next thing. Uh, the Levites, chosen by God, the special tribe, they were called to do these things. Lighting candles, ordinary mundane things, and yet it was service to God. It was part of worship to God. And so you must see, even if you, if you serve in a way that nobody honors, nobody acknowledges, maybe people just don't even realize it. Well, God sees it. Remember what Paul says, your labor is not in vain. Every single task is important for the church and for every institution, for your family, for your own life, every aspect to make it a, a, a finely, finely oiled machine. Every task is important from the smallest to the largest, from the, 
the invisible tasks to the visible tasks. All are critical. And then we, he talks about the priests. And uh, maybe this is confusing. You say, well, I thought the Levites were the priests. What's going on here? Well, the priests were a subcategory of Levites. So remember at the beginning we saw that there were the sons of Levi. There were three of them, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And uh, so David divides along family lines for different ministries. Uh, under Kohath, Kohath, uh, his grandsons were Moses and Aaron. Okay? So Levi, Kohath, and then uh, I think it's Amram, and then Moses and Aaron. And if you know your Bibles, you remember that God calls Moses, and then he tells Aaron that Aaron is going to be the priest, and his line will be the priesthood. The difference between the priests was that they did the sacrifices. The other Levites would help cleaning and preparing things, uh, what we read here, but only, only the descendants of Aaron could do the, the sacrifices, the offerings to, to God. So I hope that makes sense. There is a distinction, but the priests are a subset of the, the Levites. They were Levites, but not every Levite was a priest. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a, a priest. And again, look at verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 3, when, we talk about, when he talks about the priests. David organized them according to their appointed duties in their service. The same words are repeated in verse 19, appointed duties. They were given duties to do. And so when you serve, and I serve, we are given duties, things that we are to do. We are supposed to do. They're appointed to us. They are given to us. Uh, now often we react against duty. We don't want to do that. But... It's for anything to function properly, we must fulfill our duties, our responsibilities. Otherwise, things don't happen. So, fulfill your duties. If you're part of a team and you have responsibilities, fulfill them. I grew up and I went to, for my high school, I went to an Anglican high school. High Anglican, so that's uh, <clears throat> very similar to a Catholic service. The, the priests, they are priests, and they wear you know fancy clothes and pointy hats and um, have sticks and incense and things like that. And they would use what is called the Book of Common Prayer, okay? and it's a very beautiful book, uh, wonderful truths. But I, I remember one of the, the statements. Within the Book of Common Prayer is this. It is our duty and our joy. It is our duty and our joy. And I remember even as a teenager that really stood out to me because I think most of us don't think those two things can go together. It is our duty and our joy. But they do. As we serve the Lord, it's your duty. And as you do it as unto the Lord, it becomes your joy as well. So don't say, well, I don't feel like doing this today, so I'm not going to do it. Um, I remember, I remember uh, one pastor using this analogy. He said, imagine a fireman who, you know, there's a, burning, a, a building burning down and people are screaming for help, and he just says, you know, I just don't feel in my heart like, like doing this today. You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, you know, I'll wait until I have the feeling that I want to do this, and then... <laughs> Well, we'd say that's ridiculous, okay? And so it is with life and with Christianity. God calls us to, to obey Him, and He has given us duties to fulfill in every sphere of life. You know that your job won't last long if you only go in when you feel like it, okay? Because most mornings we don't feel like it. Uh, but it is true that as we commit to things and we faithfully do them often, the emotion follows and the, the joy is there. And so it is with the Lord. It is our duty and our joy. God has called us to, to do things 
for him. Uh, Mishwani even quoted it in his prayer this morning, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God saved you to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so again, every Christian should be serving and doing good works within the church community and beyond. Chapter 25, we come to musicians. Remember, David was a very gifted musician. Uh, he he uh, had an ability, so much so that Saul, every time Saul was depressed, he would call on David to come and play music for him. Uh, David is called the sweet singer of Israel. And he gave us so many of the Psalms. So he loved music and he appreciated music. And so it's a big emphasis and it should be a big emphasis for us. And I want you to see something that was quite startling. I don't know why I'd never really noticed it before. Uh, look at chapter 25, verse 1. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman, and of Jedithan, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. And then of the sons of Asaph were given their names under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. Verse 3, we're given some more names under the direction of their father, Jedithan, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. Jump down to verse 5. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, according to the promise of God to exalt him, for God had given Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. They were all under the direction of their father in the music in the house of the Lord, with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the order of the king. The number of them, do, sorry, the number of them, along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord. All who were skillful was 288. And they cast lots for their duties, small and great, teacher and pupil alike. Isn't it interesting that the word prophesied is used? Uh, we normally think of prophecy as an uh, authoritative proclamation of a prophet. So in the scriptures we see that there are prophets who proclaims God proclaimed God's word with authority, and it was inspired by God. Here, the same word is used of those who wrote songs for God's people to sing. Uh, of course, it makes sense because the Psalms are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you see the importance of, of singing and hymn writing in the Old Testament community. It was prophecy. It was the bringing of God's word and God's truths in musical format. And so, as God's people, we should have a high view of, of singing and the importance of it. And as I've challenged before, and there was somebody did respond, but keep, write, write hymns, okay? Uh, if, if you have a, a poetic bone in your body, <laughs> try and write hymns. The, one thing that I, I, I learned only late in life is that uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, hymn music follows the same sort of type of music. And you can just take a well-known tune, Amazing Grace, and Can It Be, and then begin to write lyrics to that music. You don't have to say, oh, I don't know how to write music. That's fine. You don't have to. Someone's done it already. You can write words, though. And we need, we need that. We need people in Johannesburg, in South Africa, in our context, with the idioms and frameworks uh, to write. To write for our context, to write with our understanding and experiences and all of those things. So start off like that. We have gifted musicians who can help you and correct you uh, and help you with the theology. But it's, it's so important. I do believe a healthy church will have a healthy music ministry. Uh, we'll, we'll see the importance of it. Notice how important this was. It was critical. And God's given us a whole book of hymns in the Bible and many other poems throughout, uh, throughout the Scriptures. So let me encourage you and stir you up into that. See how important it is. Um, 
don't miss, don't come late. You know, I, I just want to make the preaching. No, come to the singing as well. Okay? It's God's Word in, in, a, in a different format that affects us differently. And that's important for us to be holistic. Now, notice here, what, what else can we see here? Notice that they were trained and they were skillful. So again, this is important. It's not just if you're willing, well, we'll just stick you in there and, and you know, that person wants to do it so they can do it. Uh, no, it's people who are going to be trained, especially when it comes to music. People who know what they are doing, who are trained and are skillful. Not everyone has skill to play music. That's just a reality. There's, there are different gifts for different people. And so again, uh, and you can apply this to all spheres of service, there must be some skill and ability. Okay? So examine yourself. Do you have some skill or ability in this? Uh, as I've said to you before, if you're not a particularly gregarious person, you don't sort of you know, like hugging people or welcoming people, don't put your name down for the welcome team. Okay? If you have hostile resting face. Okay? <laughs> um, and if you're wondering, you can ask me because I can see. Uh, <laughs> say, Michael, do I have hostile resting face? And I'll tell you. Uh, when people come, they must be welcomed with a smile and a hug and warmth and love. Okay? Uh, and so, again, different, different abilities, different skills uh, for different areas of, of service. And especially with music, we want to have a very high standard. And we can improve. If you have ability and skill, then you can be trained and grow and keep growing in every area. Don't miss training days when people want to, the AV team wants to meet to train or something like that. It's important in every sphere that we keep growing. Just as much as Paul tells you know, Timothy that your progress, that your, his progress in his preaching and his, his life as a pastor must be evident to all. Pastors should never stop training and learning, even if, if they finished formal study. It's not that you just, you know, sell all your, book, all your books afterwards and stop studying. Uh, it's a continuous life of training and studying and learning. Okay. So training is important. Get better. Let's get better at every area of, of life. The next group are gatekeepers. Chapter 26, verse 1. You see, the, as for the divisions of the gatekeepers, jump down to verse 6. It says, also to his sons, so 26, verse 6, also to his son Shemaiah were sons born who were rulers in their father's houses, for they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, Obed, Elzabad, whose brothers were able men. Elihu and Semachiah, all these were the sons of Obed-Edom, were their sons and brothers. Able men qualified for the service. Now who were the gatekeepers? They were really the temple police. Okay? They were the bouncers. Uh, that, that's... That, now, very serious bouncers, if anyone was unclean, entered into the temple area, they, according to numbers, they were to be put to death. Okay? Uh, they were not allowed to allow those who were not priests or Levites into certain areas. They were not allowed to, uh, to, to let those who were unclean. Remember, you could, we've been seen in, uh, we saw in Leviticus, you could be unclean for worship if you touched a dead body or something like that. They were to stop people like that from entering. They were also to stop idolatrous worship. So unfortunately, at certain times in Israel's history, they turned the temple into a, a temple to false gods. And they would set up altars to idols within the very temple of, of God. The gatekeepers were supposed to stop that, to close the doors, and not allow that to, to happen. Now notice that they were to have ability. They had to have, we are told here, some of the men had great ability. Okay? So I think you need discernment. They obviously needed strength because they have to stop people from coming in. They had to have courage. 
Because they might have to say to someone very, very important, the high priest or someone, you cannot enter, you are unclean. They were able men, qualified for the service. Qualified there literally means had strength for the job. Of course, they had to be strong to do this job because they were the police. So again, we see that different abilities, different strengths for different callings. You must have ability in that field to be able to serve in that field. Then we move on to treasurers and other officials. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 26. Uh, I won't read it. It just mentions who the treasurer was. But again, we, and, and there, were, there were some uh, brothers who had to look after all the treasure, all the spoil. Remember that we, we've seen previously in Chronicles, David went and as he conquered other uh, God's enemies and drove out God's enemies, he would get plunder and he would commit that to the, to the, to the temple. Okay. And these men were to look after it. So again, in the church, the care of the finances is critical. How often do we read of pastors who, you know, that uh, at Mukanyo where I lecture, the theological seminary, so often I hear from my students, their, you know, their church is in the name of the pastor and the bank account is in his name. Okay. So basically what he's done is he's, it's, he's just there to make money. Okay. Uh, that is ungodly. There must be checks and balances, and uh, we, by God's grace we have that, and treasury is very important to caring for the finances of God's people and how they are, are used. Then, verse 29, there are other, other offices of the, the Isharites, Chenaniah and his sons were appointed to external duties for Israel as officers and judges. The flow of, of these chapters is a movement from, from the center of the temple outward. And so now we're, we're further away at treasury, the treasurers and judges and officers. Uh, but again, look at verse 31, halfway through. A search was made and men of great ability. Verse 32, King David appointed him and his brothers 2,700 men of ability. And so they were those who had this ability, this gifting to fulfill these offices. The last chapter, chapter 27, deals with the civil aspects of Israel as a nation. So remember that they were a theocracy. They were a nation under God. So it was not just that they had temple worship, but that they were also uh, a civil, had civil uh, laws, because it was a nation. Okay? We don't have that anymore. There are no Christian nations. There is the church, the people of God. Uh, and God has given the church laws and structures, which are very, very important. But David also deals with them as a nation. So from verse 1 through 15 of chapter 27, there are the military commanders he divides up the military commanders, so commanding the armies. From verse 16 through 24, there are the leaders of tribes. So the heads of each tribe. And so he, he's putting some practical steps in place on how to deal with issues within uh, each, each tribe. So if you had a problem, uh, you couldn't just say, I, I want to speak to the king. Okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to go straight to the king so I can, you know, he can sort out my problem. You couldn't do that uh, because you can imagine in a, in a nation of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that, you know, lots of problems and there's only one king. So the way it would work is you'd first go to the head of families. If he couldn't solve the problem, then you go to the head of the clan. If he couldn't solve the problem, then you go to the head of the tribe. If the problem is still going to be solved, eventually it would work its way up. But ordinarily, the problems would be solved at that level. And that's still the same today. Not every problem you have to see the pastor about. Okay? Uh, first, try and figure it out yourself from God's Word. Listen to the preaching. Then, if it's bigger than that, then speak to other believers. You should be in small groups, building relationships with others. Speak to other faithful believers, building good friends. 
they're still not able to help, uh, then it can work its way up. Uh, but don't say, well, you know, I have a sore toe, I need to speak to the pastor, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's through relationships, okay? Uh, that's the way the body of Christ is, is to work. Don't become reliant on a single person, okay? unless it's Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the only one you should be reliant upon. Every other human being is flawed and will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Okay? Don't put all your hope in them. Put all your hope in Christ. He will never let you down. And then we live in community and we help one another and bear one another's burdens. Then lastly, from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, uh, very interesting, we have David's stewards, those who looked after his property. Look at verse 31. All these were steward of king, stewards of King David's property. So just give you a sense of how organized David was. And uh, so he, he has stewards who oversee. He has his own treasurers. Uh, he has, um, verse 26, those who did the work of the field for tilling the soil. He has someone who oversees the tilling of the soil. Verse 27, over the vineyards, over the produce of the vineyards, for the wine cellars. Verse 28, over the olive and sycamore trees and the stores of oil. Verse 29, over the herds. Uh, verse 30, over the camels, over the flocks. See, over every area of his life, and of course he had tremendous wealth as the king, but you can see the order and the structure. He has people that oversee the, the farming, and the harvesting, and the vineyards, and the, the cellars of wine, and the, 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 the olive trees, and then the, the olive oil. Just to give you a sense of, that he brought order and structure into his life. Of course, most of us can't afford that. That's not the, <laughs> that's not the lesson from this. I'm not saying you have to get a hire people to co cover every part of your life. It's just to give you an idea to learn to delegate and to have structure and order in every sphere of your life. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you read the Gospels, do you get the sense that Jesus is a, a disorganized, unstructured man? Not at all. He knows exactly what he is doing. You see that he is a man who knows when to work. He is a man who knows when to take a break. Isn't that right? He'll say, come, let us draw aside. He is a man who has a faithful and diligent prayer life. He is a man that knows what he is doing and where he is going. There were places that were saying, come, come, stay here, don't leave. And he said, no, I have to go and preach the gospel elsewhere because that's why I came. He wasn't just swayed by public outcries or anything like that. He knew what he was about. And you can go and read in Luke's Gospel, the travel narrative. The last time he goes to Jerusalem, he knows what he's doing. He's working his way through the whole country. On his way to Jerusalem, he sets his face as a flint to Jerusalem. He is structured and in control and ordered. He is not panicky and... I'm uh, missing on this, what am I going to do? And not knowing what he's doing, he is a man who has structure. And then as the ascended Christ, after his death, burial, resurrection, 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And now he is Lord over his church. And he continues to give, uh, give instruction to us through his word. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us he has given gifts to the church, ministries to the church. This is the way the church is to operate. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes his pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and tells the church how they are to operate. He says to Timothy that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. God has given the church instruction how it is to operate. Pastors and deacons and their qualifications. The way we are to do things decently and in order. There is hierarchy. There is structure. There is order. But it is also true that you can have all the, the structure and all the order in the world and go to hell. Okay. Uh, Peter Drucker 
is a business guru, which are, those of you in the business world will have heard of him. There's a famous statement. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What he means by that is, in a business and any organization, you can set up as much structure and strategy as you like. But the real culture of that business or organization or church will override it. So we can set up teams, we can do a whole lot of things, but if the culture is one of laziness and indifference and disrespect, it's meaningless. You have all the rules you like, all the teams you like, all the rosters you like, but if the culture is not there, it doesn't mean anything. Think of the time when the Lord Jesus came to earth. The Pharisees, were the Pharisees disordered? Not at all. You read the rest, you read the Old Testament, many times Israel is chaos. Okay? Worshipping false gods, committing abominations in the temple, there's just, it's madness. Uh, there's, there's orgies and immorality, it's nuts. It's, but when Jesus comes, it's not like that. Very interesting, you will see that in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, there's no demon possession. It's in the pagan areas, Gentile, the Galilee of the Gentiles, further, further north. But in Jerusalem, Judea, there's no, pagan, there's no demon possession. They didn't open themselves up to that. They were ordered, they were structured. They took God's word and they sought to obey it, but without loving God. They didn't love him. Think more recently, I think, you know, if, if you were to say, okay, if I were to ask you, what is the one nation in the, on the world, if, you, if I were to say, maybe there's two, but uh, <laughs> if you were to say, which is the most organized and structured nation on the planet, you know, this is the way, the only way, I want to have one click, okay, <laughs> the Germans. In the, in the 1900s, was the most cultured uh, people on the planet in terms of music and literature and architecture, and yet they did, the after the crucifixion, the most abominable sins that have ever been committed. They had the most culture, the most structure. I've, heard, I've never been there, but I've heard from people, if you cross the road before the little green man's flashing, they, everyone stares at you and frowns at you. Like, yeah, we like... There's no cars. Like, <laughs> why must I stand here? <laughs> uh, there, everyone looked, you know, how can you do that? They're not Christian at all. They hate God. But they obey the laws and they have structure. So we don't want to be a place that has structure and order and all of these things and our hearts are far from God. You know what will happen? Two things, two things will happen. If you don't love Christ... Number one, you'll hate doing your duty. You'll begrudge it. I've got to do this again. I've got to come to these people. I've got to do this. I've got to set up. I've got to be a half an hour earlier. Uh, you won't enjoy it. You, it'll be a grudge for you. You, 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 will, you won't enjoy it at all. Because there's no love for Christ. You'll do it because of fear of man, what will other people think of me. But you won't do it out of love for Christ. Say, I love you, Lord, and I love your people, and I want to serve you. And I want to help make sure that everyone can worship without distraction on your day. Or you'll become self-righteous. Why is everyone else late? My team, useless. Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one. You see, it's those two things. You, will, you won't like it, and you'll become self-righteous and arrogant, and you won't have any grace. So we want structure, but it must be from a love for Christ. That's what drives us. The gospel, that I've been redeemed, that I deserve hell. I don't deserve the privilege of being, you know what the Bible calls us? Fellow laborers with Jesus Christ, that we get to work with him on the same team as the Lord Jesus Christ that we get the privilege to serve one another and to serve him. And when you wake up and you don't feel like it, and you, but you, you say, Lord, I don't feel like it, 
But I know, and what do you must you do? Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember what he has done for you. Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? No, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. And what we're called is nothing in comparison to what he experienced for us. And so always, watch your heart. If you start to see it as you begrudge it, people become obstacles and irritating for you. This ministry, you don't diarize it anymore. You don't care about it. You're like, it doesn't matter if I'm late. I don't. There's something wrong in your heart. Preach the gospel to yourself again. Remember the motivation for it. If you're always upset with everyone else, looking down on everyone else, check your heart to the gospel. May God help us to be a people who have order and structure, but our service is because we love Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you for your word. We come to chapters like this, and it's so easy to just skip over them, to think that they have nothing to tell us. They're just a list of boring names, hard-to-pronounce names. But every part of your word is profitable. And thank you for the instruction from your word that we find here, Lord. We do want to be a people who, who have structure, who have order. But Lord, not in a legalistic way, not in a self-righteous way, a condescending way, a heartless way. We want to be a people who, who love you, and so we, it is our duty and our joy. You pray that you would help all of us to serve you, Lord. Pray for those who, who don't know where to serve, that you would show them their, their abilities and giftings and their skills and um, lead them to the right place, the right team, the right group. We do ask that everyone here, every member who is able to, would, would be serving and helping, that it wouldn't just be a few who, who carry the weight. So please help us, Lord. And Lord, if there are any here who don't know you, you don't have a new heart, that you would, by your Spirit, work, that they would come to you, Lord Jesus, the one who laid down his life for sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.